I would not change my addiction for anything. You call yourself... Randy the Recovering Addict. I'm Lori Hardy, and I am here because Randy has a dream. My dream is to bring together people and their stories and what they've been through, how they've gotten to where they got, and then how they climbed their way back out, and to share that with not just other addicts that could probably use the insight, but the world so they have a better understanding of how and what we've been through. And so what are you going to call this? It's going to be called Recovery Radio. What I love is that you are ready to be the first one to be vulnerable, to share your story in hopes that it will help someone, that someone would resonate with it. So let's just jump right in. One of my first memories I had, my parents had a rough relationship and didn't stay together. and They never told me much about what happened, but I know that I wound up in foster homes at a pretty, pretty early age. And one of my first memories in that foster home was uh, watching a child climb up in her parents' lap in this foster home and the parent holding on to the child and saying that they loved them. And I remember, this is one of my first memories that I can remember as a child, is looking at him and saying, why, why, how come I don't get that? Down the road, uh, I remember my father coming to pick me up. I think I was about four or five years old, still pretty young. He picked me up, uh, I remember my sisters being in the truck, one of my sisters, and, uh, and she was asking me for some candy, and I told her that I didn't want to give her none. And he told me that I had to, and I said no. I remember him pulling over the truck on the side of the highway, yanking me out, dropping my pants and beating me on the side of the highway with a belt. Wow. This is one of the first memories of my, with my father. That's pretty tough. That's just something I never really tell a lot of people. It's, uh, it's very sensitive for me. I mean, you can kind of see that it started off as an abusive relationship. He did love me. I know that, but I used to blame him in my life for the things he did. I just remember some memories. Just Here's an insight. You know, it's really hard to get through this and, and to bring it out. Right now, I'm kind of shaking a little bit. Yeah. It's really hard to be vulnerable. But I know this needs to come out. I, I just had a lot of fear for my father. I couldn't do nothing right. You know, got called a lot of names like stupid and just a lot of the stuff that, you know, you can't figure out as a kid. And he wanted us to do a lot, cleaning his house and stuff like that. And you know, he always wanted it perfect and it had to be perfect. Otherwise, we couldn't be done with it. I, I noticed that my mother wasn't in the picture. Mm-hmm. But one thing my father always brought up is I wasn't allowed to talk about her. Oh. Or, and he didn't want to bring up any situations. So right there, not having your mom. I mean, we had a stepmom who on occasion told us she hated us. Mm. And, uh, you know, they had a hard relationship, my dad and my stepmother. And one thing that taught me is that I've never been married and I couldn't figure out why. And I started to realize that they had a miserable relationship and that's what I picked up relationships to be. Mm-hmm. And they kept saying, you know, we, we'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do after the kids move out. <laughs> so they're one of those ones that said that, uh, you know, we'll stay together for the kids. Mm. So his anger for her and her anger for him really reflected on the children in the house. And I'm going to keep it about me and not bring up my other siblings. I'm going to do my best. The two boys out of the house, me and my brother, I guess I could say, mm-hmm. got the worst of it. Telling this story and try not to feel like the victim and try not to feel like I'm looking for an old poor me thing which Mm -hmm. is I'm not doing because through my recovery I'll get to that part not having my mom around I I felt I had abandonment issues you know because I always wanted I mean we tried to build an airplane out of a a Tonka truck and a roll of fencing to fly away to go meet our mother for the first time and this was like eight or nine years old still Mm -hmm. in still in Cottage Grove Oregon and uh, I remember when we brought that up and our stepmom her daddy told us our dad we got in trouble Mm -hmm. for even expressing that Mm. in big time and then we had hurt our mom he made us feel bad for talking and thinking about our mom yeah just bear with me getting through this yeah. i totally get it so it's, you it's had hard. to stuff a lot of stuff i did and, and you were a little kid and you couldn't figure out because you didn't have the tools to figure it out so you really were a victim at that point 
but you're not going to take it into your adult is what you're saying yeah exactly later. that's so. exactly not what i'm doing i mean mm -hmm. now it's a great tool to i get to use to figure out a better life for myself and not be the victim anymore exactly. and realize just because i was raised that way that's not life Exactly. That's just part of life that I got. I had to experience as a child. He moved us out of uh, Cottage Grove, Oregon, when I was ten years old to Alaska. I just I remember dreaming of looking out the window and wishing I could just hurry up and grow up and move out. As a mm -hmm. little kid, just staring out the window. I mean, I was grounded all school year for not having good grades. Uh, I never understood school. He never could help us with school, but I, I I learned that I hated school. I just spent a lot of time in trouble. Yeah. And it just made me feel like a bad person and a bad kid and that I couldn't do nothing right. And of that course. I was more of a burden mm -hmm. to my father than I was actually a blessing. You know, one thing I noticed, I, I got to watch a lot of TV when I was younger too. And I noticed that uh, the families on there did not live a life that I lived. And I've noticed, and through my recovery, I, I've long, I've noticed that I watch a lot of TV because of that fairy tale mm -hmm. and that dream. You know, the great thing about recovery is I get to look inside myself, not why, while I was an addict, but the things and the and the situations that got me to become an addict, and that is huge for me. So, uh, I, I take my recovery pretty serious. About three years later, after being in Alaska, my dad was trying to find work, and we were bouncing around from house to house. I mean, he was trying to trying to provide for us for what he was capable of doing, and he was gone fishing one time, and. I know that we had done a couple of things. I remember our stepmother threatening us, wait for your father gets home. And that's just something when you're already terrified of your father, you don't want to hear. So he was coming home off the fishing boat. So me and my brother decided to run away. So I remember that we were going to leave and I was terrified to leave the house. We wouldn't know what to do. And he's like, come on, we don't want to have to put up with this anymore. You know, we don't deserve this. And I was like, you're right. So we, we ran away at 13. And the first place I went was right down the hill to a local residential airport and had small airplane airplanes and I tried hot wiring 13 of these airplanes to fly away <laughs> to get out of California. <laughs> I'm so glad to this day I did not get none started. Mm -hmm. But we got a couple turning over but they wouldn't start for us. I mean this is how determined and how scared we were of our father and how far we wanted to get away. And when we couldn't get these airplanes hot wired we set on foot to walk out of Alaska. I mean we didn't know much of the world. We weren't allowed to go out much. I mean we never had friends stay the night. We never stayed with friends the night. I mean we were always in trouble and there was always a reason we couldn't do anything. <laughs> My dad had us pretty locked down. For three days we wound up at Big Lake in Houston, Alaska and uh, you know at 13 I was a pretty good mechanic. My dad was a mechanic and he had me doing a lot of stuff. Well, We wound up hot wiring like seven boats and we were just for three days without food or nothing I and mean, we didn't think of food i mean this is how bad we, and how scared we were of our father that we went out and joyrided in these boats for like three days until finally somebody caught us which i'm glad they did uh, we were starving by this point and the cops were calling the cops picked us up and i remember the cops trying to say well you can go back to your home and we'll figure this out you guys are children and we begged and pleaded not to go home Scared to death not to go home. Tried to tell him our living situation, and it didn't. I remember my dad showing up, and I was just terrified. And he kept wanting me to come next to him, and I was like, "No, I don't want. I don't want to come near you. I don't. I could just imagine. I mean, the little things I'd done in growing up, how much trouble and how much pain I endured, to the things that I just did, and what was going to become of it. They sent us to a foster home again. It was pretty much going to expire after a couple weeks. We we're going to go home, so we ran away from there. And we went and broke into a couple stores. We took some food and a few bucks out of the cash register. And I remember the cops catching us again. And so they sent us to a juvenile hall detention. And because we kept running away, we wouldn't stay home. They chose to leave us in there for a while until we could uh, basically be rehabilitated as children. And I remember being there at 13 and not wanting to go home. It was the most comfortable place I'd ever been in. Wow. I did not want to leave juvenile wow. hall. So I spent two years there. My brother spent two and a half years there. And I remember... We, I got to go home at about 15, started school up again, and my dad wasn't as violent as he was, 
But then after a couple years of being there, just the patterns, I remember us working on something and he just grabbed my foot and tried slamming it down on the snow machine we were working on. I just looked at him and I'm like, I can't know. Mm-hmm. And it just brought back all those feelings and stuff. So I, I, I left home after that. Well, it's kind of living with friends. Uh, never knew about the world, never knew about work, never knew about finances, never knew about a lot. So feeling some worthlessness from my father, feeling abandonment from my mother and just... Uh, not feeling good about myself, not having any idea of what I was capable of as a person or what I was worth. I spent a few years with friends, then I got a girlfriend and I wound up having a a couple of kids. And uh, that relationship was going all right. It was rocky. It was here, it was there. You know, I was young and still trying to find my own way. I started a a little shop. And next thing I know, I started to get popular for the first time in my life. Started Mm -hmm. having people come into my life. And this is something I've noticed through my recovery is that for the first time I started feeling worth something to people and so when i started letting people in my life start becoming popular i wasn't aware of the kind of people i was attracting and so as all these people started coming into my life i started feeling popular i started feeling like i was friends with all of them and next thing i know i had a a girl that i knew from school i remember her asking me she's like would you go to the hospital and get some pills for me and i was like why why would i do that you know i've done my partying here and there as a kid but i never thought of it as a life or just anything that that was addiction you know what i mean i didn't i was pretty much hidden from the world as a child let's put it that way and i didn't get to experience or make any decisions for myself whatsoever i mean keeping it back going back to there i remember just anything i did i've been smacked to the ground so many times i had a concussion from my father somebody went into his garage one of his friends and moved his tools and i was the mechanic guy so for some reason he assumed i did it you know if, you know, if anything happened in the house it was the kids mm-hmm. And he, t- he pretty much made me admit that I did it. And I know I still haven't, didn't do it to this day. And he took a, a ball peen hammer and it had the steel handle, it had a rubber handle on it. And I remember he thumped me on top of the head with it like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember going dizzy and almost went out and went straight to the ground. And I never knew I had a concussion until now because I woke up dizzy for like five days after that. I mean, super dizzy out of bed, getting up for school, couldn't walk, couldn't mm-hmm. function, you know, wanting to vomit. One thing I like to say about all this is I do love my father mm-hmm. and I know he did what was best for him and his life that he was handed and that, you know, I was a victim of him, but, you know, he wasn't raised in the best circumstances either. A lot of his reactions were about him, not you. But as a child, you took it as you. Exactly. And they were violent. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So then you had all these friends. You're very popular. They asked you to go get meds from the hospital. Yeah, I did. The pills were, you know, they were so easy to get back then. I mean, mm. this is like 15 years, 16 years ago. And so I did. I went in there complaining of a toothache and they'd give you a big old bottle of pills. Next thing I know, I started hanging out with these people at their house and we started taking the pills and they started making me feel good. I associated the feeling good with the popularity that this was what being felt needed and wanted and being a part of something was. So I kept doing it. And other people kept bringing in pills and she had a whole bunch of people doing it. And there was just pills everywhere. It was great. And then I experienced my first withdrawal symptoms. Mm -hmm. It was like 45 days after I started taking these pills that I took them every day, all day long, until there wasn't any. And then I woke up one morning and I felt horrible. I called up everybody and told them what what horrible people they were and what they had done to me and it was your fault where I'm at. And Mm -hmm. I remember that. And then from then on, and then I started in my relationship, I started cheating. I started hanging out with other people. I started uh, doing more and more different drugs and the idea of this was popularity to me mm. and uh, it was you know a small town in alaska so uh, that's kind of where it started for me my addiction mm-hmm. uh, i started taking the drugs notice and they were making me feel good and i started doing more and more not so positive stuff to people and to make that okay i just kept doing more drugs and i destroyed my relationship i destroyed the relationship with my children 
My mother, I would like to point out, was uh, put up for adoption as a kid, and she has struggled with you know self-worth her whole life and an addict her whole life. And then she did it to me and my brother, pretty much. You know, she abandoned us. And once again, I, you know, I, I see her side. It doesn't make it right, but I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody. And then I did it to my children, who I've recently started reaching out to. And uh, I, you know, I thought they needed to forgive me, but through all this, I realized that I needed to forgive myself. And once I did that and started working on myself and my recovery, I've been able to reach out to them. And uh, you know, they're angry at first, but they are talking to me. I'm making the effort. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm putting in the effort because once I stopped making it all about me. Like I have since I, you know, as a child, and mm -hmm. feeling worthless and a sense of uh, I felt like I was so beneath people. I could never look people in the face. I always thought everybody was better than I was, and mm -hmm. that I was a great follower. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I was raised. So, what started your path into uh, recovery? In the addiction life that I was having, I just kept going lower and doing worse things, and caring less about myself and other people, and not taking care of myself, robbing people, and uh, just one day, I, you know. I just realized that just, there's something better. On the back of my mind, I always knew there was something better, that this wasn't right, but I ignored that voice. And when that voice got too loud, I uh, intoxicated it. Just after about 11 years of using and all this stuff, I'm like, there's got to be something better. This can't be life. You know what I mean? I can't be doing the same thing that my, like my mother did to me. You know what I mean? I just wanted to break the cycle. So for the last six years, I have, for the first five years, I did it on my own. I didn't go to any 12-step. I did. I tried doing religious. I went to one meeting, and I was like, this isn't for me. I don't want to say I'm an addict. I, I I just I know I can come out of this and mm -hmm. I know I can act like nothing ever happened and I thought just quitting the drugs is where it was at and so for five years I suffered of alone and anytime life would get hard I would somehow start looking to the drugs again mm -hmm. and there was always some kind of crutch there was liquor there was marijuana there was the pills and then you got into the really heavy street drugs when life got really hard my father passed away I tried to act like I didn't care didn't notice but I started to use after that and into there I managed to pull myself back out and then a very close pet died Mm -hmm. And as a man, you don't want to think you were attached or say you were because that's the way I was raised. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get you know get that out of out of focus there, but it, it traumatized me pretty bad. And the next day, I went to my neighbor's, my landlord's boyfriend, and was like, you know, where's the drugs? I know you have some because you do it all the time. And he pulled it out and I started again. And just this mm -hmm. just this cycle was keep going on. Like there's got to be something more. So I left that little. T I left Alaska six years ago to get away from the situation and try to try, try to fix myself. They say you can't move and get away from everything, but <laughs> sometimes you got to pull yourself out of the, the weed garden and right. plant yourself somewhere else a little better yeah. in order to get a better perspective on what you're doing. And that's, but I went into another small town that, you know, <laughs> all the jobs, all the mills have left, and it was just a, a, a starving town, you know, a starving town for money and a sense of worth. And once again, it was just all around me. So last year we made a choice to move again, and we moved here to Washington uh, in the great Seattle area. I have found a lot of resources. I have found a lot of people. How did you find them? What was... Honestly, the desire, the spark to change my life that mm -hmm. I had six years, I just wouldn't let it burn out. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I mean, I could have easily went back to using and went back to my isolation and disappeared off the map under the radar, but I just, I, I can't live that life anymore. I have children. I have, I just, you know... And God has a big, big plan for your life. A huge plan. And you're saying yes. Yes. And that may not have happened had you not gone on the search. Yes. Before you went and it was religious and it was like not for you. What what was different this time? My Somewhere. mind not being open this time. Mm. Because I believe that I had my beliefs and my ideas and my thoughts. And I just, once I come to the terms, and you'll hear it a lot in a lot of these recovery places, is my best thinking got me where I was. My <laughs> beliefs got me where I was. And that just kind of got me thinking. I was like, all right, 
it's, it's time to choose another path. If there's lots of, I mean, I have found so many people in recovery, just huge society of recovery people. It's just, you don't fathom it. And they're, they're pretty anonymous. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's still that whole, let's hide from the world. I don't want to tell the world. I want to get cured and just be a part of this world. But this world right now, I believe, is what's causing a lot of the addiction. I mean, it's rampant. It's everywhere. It's huge. You can't walk down the street without seeing somebody on drugs or or just a family torn apart because somebody in the family is on drugs and just it's everywhere. So so what was the first story you heard that really touched you? It was the recovery story. Mm-hmm. It was people getting things back in their life and finding <laughs> a sense of worth, honestly. Yeah. And that was attractive to me. And like I said, that little voice in the back of my head, back of my head always knew it was there. And I wanted that. What I hear is it's not so much getting us back as that you're getting better. You're getting better than what you had before. Yes. That's what Recovery Radio is about. That's what I'm doing here is sharing our stories. And I'd just like to point out I, this is something that I'm starting. It's going to be about the people for the people. Being on this side of the table, I know I'm going to understand how hard it is for these, for everybody to tell their story. But, I mean, through me doing this and getting to work with people, I hope that we can really finesse this out. So let me ask you this. This is your second time because we did a practice run. Yes. What is it like this time? Really emotional. I expected to kind of cry through this, which I almost did a couple times, but I really held back. I probably don't think that was fair for anybody who's going to be watching this. <laughs> it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And the first time we did it is I touched I touched the surface a couple times. I went way around it. It is hard, but it doesn't need to be done. And if anybody's willing to ask me at any point in time, I'm willing to discuss and talk. It's a little different one-on-one with people mm-hmm. that uh, really, really want to know your story and to get to understand. Because my point is to get my story out there because if it can help somebody to understand their past and why they're at where they're at right now, and it right. can help propel them into a, a better future and of recovery and connecting with people and getting people to realize that there's not one person better than the next person. I don't care what race you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care your stature, if it's government, where it's not, where you're a CEO, a janitor. We're all human beings, and there's not one person better than the other person. And once I got a hold of that in my head, mm-hmm. I realized there's, there's nothing I can't do. And our addiction or our disorders don't name us. Had you not gone through this, this right here would not be happening. I just, I'm asking anybody that's willing to help somebody, help themselves by telling their story. And if it touches one person's life to help them to mm-hmm. turn their life around or get them to understand why they're at, where they're at, and that they can come out of it and they can shine like the brightest star up there. I mean, I feel that's how we were all designed. We're all designed to do purpose. I would not change my addiction for anything because without it, I wouldn't be able to understand for one, during my addiction, how I could fix that. But I get to go back way further to like my childhood and understand what set me up to be able to become an, an addict. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, I've been through that and I didn't become an addict. But every circumstance is different. Every people in your life, every single moment exactly. is different. And you cannot compare one life to another. And I firmly believe that. This is just to help. It's just to other people get their stories out. And I, I can't wait to hear them. I get to work with people. I'm going to have a lot of emotion. And it's, it's exciting to me. So you call yourself... Randy the Recovering Addict. And what I love about that, Randy, is as a recovery coach, I think it's really easy to say, I'm Randy, I'm an addict. So much more powerful to say, I'm Randy and I'm a recovering addict. I totally believe that. Two of the most powerful words you can put in front of anything you say about yourself is, I am. And if you're, I'm an addict, and it sounds like the struggle still. When I say I'm a recovering addict, I'm in a state of recovery, not in a state of addiction. When you interview people, you are going to always end this podcast in a certain way. And what is that? Motto and catchphrase is, is you are better than nobody. There is nobody better than you. That is awesome. That is a great ending. Thank you for being vulnerable.
Thank you for hosting this. Anything you want to add before we say? If you feel that this could help somebody, if you have a story that you would like to tell, if you have a testimony through your life that you think would help somebody brave or get through whatever they're going through, then I just ask that you reach out to tell yourself we would love to hear it. The world's waiting to hear it. I know uh, I put it on Facebook. Somebody said the world's not ready to hear this, but I disagree. This is a new time, a new day and age, and anonymous is not going to work. All we want is to connect, right? That's right. We don't want to be alone. We want to connect, and we want to know that what we went through is that you're not alone. Yeah. And I love it that you're paving this path for other people to walk with you, and I think this is brilliant, and I know it's going to go places. So thank you for saying yes. You are better than nobody. There is nobody better than you.